This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by Lamigo. On this episode, Rebecca and I chat with Emily Shea about serverless for newbies. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 109. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly. And I'm Rebecca Marshburn. And welcome to Serverless Chats. Hey, Rebecca, how you doing? I'm doing good. You know, I recently got back from Tennessee, a rural farmhouse for the last month. And uh, it's kind of overwhelming, but really great to be back in the city and to be back in Seattle. What about you, Jeremy? I have been plugging away on Serverless Cloud and just, you know, heads down. Um, it's been kind of a whirlwind. So, uh, but exciting stuff happening all around, and it's good to uh, it's good to be doing the podcast again. So, um, we have a super exciting guest today. So, Rebecca, yes, would you do. like to introduce her? Yes, I am super excited to introduce Emily Shea, who I met through my time working at AWS. Uh, she has worked for Amazon in various capacities. So, she's worked from the retail side. She's now at Amazon Web Services or AWS, as we all love to call it. Um, she started in Seattle. She's now based out of London. And she's now a senior business development manager and doing things like delivering reInvent talks at a from a technical point of view, but does not come necessarily from a technical background. Um, so super excited to talk a bit about beginnings and then how beginnings have shaped where she is today in terms of going from zero tech in a way to uh, leading others and teaching others at places like reInvent. Um, hey, Emily, it's nice to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Jeremy. It's great to be here. Um, I just want to kick us off with a bit about beginnings. Could you maybe tell us about your day job today and then a little bit about the path and the background that I sort of alluded to um, that you've taken in the last few years? Um, from partner manager or from retail to partner manager to the AWS side today? And like, what are you talking about when you talk at reInvent now? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely been an interesting path. Definitely couldn't have predicted any of the steps along the way, but have had a lot of fun with it. Um, so yeah, so my current job, I actually recently relocated from um, the Seattle office. I've been in the Seattle office for a couple years, and then I moved in January to London. I'm looking for a new adventure. So now I'm um, a senior go-to-market specialist for um, the UK and Ireland customers. Um, and that's been really fun. That's a new challenge to, to be working directly with customers. Um, so I'm trying to, to support all of the customers in that region to uh, adopt serverless. Um, and so all of those, those good services uh, like Lambda, API Gateway, Step Functions, EventBridge, uh, the whole crew, um, trying to, to help the customers in those regions adopt them, whether that's uh, helping them with uh, set up workshops or, or just doing having conversations about kind of what works, what would work for your use case. Um, and that's been been super fun just to, to kind of get uh, an eyeful of what customers are up to and, and all their different kind of use cases and industries that they come from. Um, so that's what I'm up to today. Uh, yeah, my role prior to this, um, I started at AWS in the partner space. Um, working with a lot of great um, ISVs that build tools, um, so kind of monitoring, um, observability, de uh, deployment frameworks, kind of that space uh, was where I started at AWS. Uh, kind of fell into a, a serverless uh, role when I really didn't know anything much about AWS or much about serverless at all, um, and really kind of fell in love with it and, and just took it from there. 
Um, but then my kind of origins at Amazon are on the retail side. Um, and so uh, got got really excited about AWS and made my way over here. But so it's been all kinds of different uh, twists and turns, but um, uh, super excited to, to be where I am today. I'd love to I'd love to know um, how your efforts how your efforts on serverless adoption are going. Are you seeing a lot of customers really embrace it? Are you seeing a, a mix between you know sort of the containers and the traditional EC2s and then sprinkling in a little bit of serverless? Or are people kind of going full into serverless? Yeah, I think I mean it's super fun just getting to work with some of those customers that are the most enthusiastic about adopting kind of the latest and greatest and are super passionate about serverless just like we are. Um, I feel like that group is, is super fun to work with. But then we still are so early on in cloud um, and just talking to customers that have really just taken that first step um, right. that I think it is such a spectrum of, of where different customers are. And um, it's awesome to work with the ones that are kind of really uh, thinking ahead and, and getting on it, um, but then also to the ones that um, are really kind of just taking those first steps into cloud. Um, and so it's a it's a big spectrum, and it's it's nice to be able to to get a, a chance to talk to both. I think um, Jeremy and I are connected in a way. Hopefully, that's true since we're co-hosting this. But I had a similar question, but sort of in terms of building off what he asked. Do you see differences or similarities between customers based in the London, UK, Ireland area and customers based in the US? And like, do you see applications that both struggle with or both succeed at? Or is it kind of different as it is different culturally? Like, how does culture and adoption play into each other for serverless across the Atlantic? Definitely. And I think I think some of it is I'm still kind of learning myself. Um, I'm probably about seven months into the role at this point. Um, and for my last role, I was I was very much focused on kind of the partner space and, and working with a lot of those ISVs. Um, so I think I'm still kind of learning the, the region, learning about uh, kind of the different customers that are here in the different industries. And um, so it's a it's an awesome learning opportunity. And I'm still kind of getting up to speed. That makes sense. And I think uh it will probably change over time. I mean, obviously your understanding of it and like getting into the the space, but it probably takes a lot of time, the nuances between understanding like, oh, here are the key phrases or messages that actually resonate more and whether or not those are similar or different between um, different countries, I guess, where customers mm -hmm. are based. Um, I wanted to, to dive in more to about, into how you started with serverless in your path there, because I, I think it's really unique. And usually I kind of stay away from trying to use the word unique because it maybe doesn't say much, but it really is singular, I think. So you um, wanted to build a website to help yourself learn Chinese. So can you tell us a bit about how your connection between learning Chinese and studying that in, in college, right? And how that sort of led you to building on serverless and getting deeply technical. Yes. So, um, yeah. So when I say I don't have a tech background, um, I really do not. <laughs> I have a Chinese background. <laughs> and um, so all of my kind of uh, starting in like high school and through undergrad and grad school, I was studying Chinese language. Um, and so that's kind of been my, my earlier passion and, and still really enjoy uh, kind of getting to spend some time on that. But um, as I was getting really deep into to AWS and having a ton of fun learning uh, AWS and studying for certifications and um, kind of that phase of my career, I was uh, sitting at home one day thinking, you know, I'm spending a lot of time on serverless and not a lot of time on Chinese. I really hope that I'm not just kind of losing this skill that I put so much effort into. 
Um, and so uh, at, at that time, I was kind of just getting started with playing with things in the console and, and just kind of, um, I think I'd done maybe like a couple Python courses online or something. And so I thought um, it would be really cool if I could have some kind of regular reminder to, to study Chinese and to have that uh, kind of worked into my daily routine. Um, and it'd be awesome if I could just kind of have a, a new word that I hadn't seen in a while and just have a little bit of a refresher and, and get that into my, my routine. Um, and so I set up that initial, uh, I just threw some words in an S3 bucket and set up an SNS topic that would text my phone um, and a Lambda function to kind of connect the two and, and trigger on a daily basis. Um, and that was kind of the genesis of this project that now has, has blown into a, a kind of full service that I'm using that's got, um, I think, about 100 or so subscribers um, that's evolved in complexity over time. But uh, that was the, the original small project um, that I started with. So I love I love the fact that you you take like this seed of an idea and and you start very very simple like you said SNS topic Lambda function you know event bridge rule or CloudWatch rule um, that triggers this thing on a regular basis. So um, what was that first experience like though? Because I always I'm very very curious, especially people who are not um, who don't come from a technical background. Like all of a sudden you see a wall of Python or you see uh, CloudFormation YAML and you're like, okay, what is this? Um, you know the console I think is a great way for some people to get started. Um, but what was that first experience like? Like how much of it was you know, was it you just kind of your eyes glazing over looking at this stuff as opposed to like really feeling like you had actionable material or a tutorial to to start with? Absolutely. I think that there is still plenty of eyes glazing over. <laughs> I think that you never truly <laughs> leave that behind. But I do think it right. is amazing to like stand where I am today, where I've probably been coding for, for maybe two or three years now. And to just look back on some of those things where I would get, get like I would see an error message and just be completely... Uh, out of my depth at figuring out how to kind of go about debugging it. Whereas now it's like, oh, I've seen that a million times. Here's the whatever I need to do to fix it. And so it's cool to see kind of your, your skills build over time. Um, but I do think it was just kind of that initial application of uh, using some of those those skills and that, those services um, to build something that not only I found useful, but some of my friends um, were also interested in using. And I think that that kind of ability to, to take these skills and, and to, to write some code and, and build something useful was really, really, I think that gets you kind of that, that addiction to building stuff. Right. Um, and it's super empowering, I think, coming from like a non-technical background. I think uh, I talk to people all the time or like uh, kind of earlier on where you have all kinds of cool ideas. Uh, it's like, oh, I'd love to have an app for this, or I'd love to to kind of build like a small business around this. Um, and there's all kinds of ideas, but then the the like technical skills to be able to build it are the gap. Um, and so it's super cool to have just even a little bit. And I feel like you can get so much done with just serverless um, that uh, I feel like that's really empowering to be able to say, okay, I have an idea, and I absolutely have the skills to be able to to make it a reality. Do you remember if you had like the first aha moment? where you're like, okay, eyes glazed over, I'm either, and I see this error message, I'm either just going to quit now, or I'm going to like dig, and all of a sudden there's that moment where you're like, oh, and, and did that did that germinate from a specific tutorial you watched, or a blog post you read, or like, was there a moment where it congealed, and you're like, ah, got it, like, this is how I work through it. I feel like there have been different kind of milestones as the project has progressed, I think that I often, I, I don't typically finish like a full tutorial. I feel like I'll kind of start the tutorial, get a couple of the concepts and then start building something that I'm like, okay, like this is how I want to apply it. And I feel like you, that you just uh, understand it so much more deeply when you kind of have that combination of, of learning and then also building. 
Um, and so I think that uh, that's kind of been my approach to tutorials. But I feel like I every time that I like launch a new feature or do a big kind of like refactor of a piece of the, the project, um, I feel like it is such a sense of like accomplishment and excitement about getting like a feature that I've been thinking about for however many months out and, and published. Um, and so I feel like I, I'm still continuing to have uh, those experiences where it's like, oh, yes, like here's a new big uh, like skill or, or service that I didn't uh, kind of understand or was really intimidating at first that now I'm able to, to go build with. So I feel like you still can, can, can you continue to, to build that sense of uh, accomplishment and excitement. Yeah. Well, speaking of blog posts, too, and tutorials, I mean, one of the things that was absolutely great that you did, and I and I, I loved the blog post series that you wrote about building and your experience with doing it, because one, you're an excellent writer, um, but you also came at it from this uh, this sort of standpoint of, the, of a person just getting started. So um, you see a lot of people who, you know, a lot of technical people aren't the best writers, and sometimes you get sort of a very complex technical blog post. Um, you came at it from a, an angle that was like such, such at the right level, or at the right level for so many people. And I think even for people who were technical, reading what you wrote um, and, and sort of experiencing what you experienced, um, it was just a really nice on-ramp, I think, for a lot of people. So um, I, I, maybe this is another question, because you, you said you, know, you only get through a first part of the tutorial. I'm the same way. Like if I see a tutorial, I'm like, as soon as I get to step four, I'm like, I feel like I've got enough here. I can just go ahead and run with it. Like, you know, but you know, before you put the safety harness on and some of these other things that you might, you know, cause some problems. But wh where do you where do you think that balance is for tutorials, especially for beginners when it comes to serverless? Is it is it something where you know, how many steps can you give them, right? And there was actually, and, and to make this question even longer, apologies, um, but actually Chris <laughs> Munns um, asked this question um, uh, on Twitter a few months ago where he asked whether or not the Hello World examples or the basic examples that they give for these starting tutorials, should they leave out a lot of that complexity so that you don't get bogged down with it, but really what they're t telling you to do is build an app that doesn't follow best practices, is that the right approach or should we go deeper? I mean, where, where do you think that line is in terms of how technical and how in-depth the blog post needs to be? Definitely, yeah. And I think that coming from my experience of uh, just getting into some of those tutorials from a background of, of quite literally zero, I think, in the, the tech world, I think I've definitely run into those tutorials that kind of assume too much um, and just jump you in so much deeper than, than at least I was. Um, and so I think that in some ways, I feel like there is a bit of an advantage of, of coming from a place where I think, oh, I guess back when I started, first started at AWS and was still doing like I did my like cloud practitioner certification and was just really building that fundamentals. Um, I actually talked to a few people who kind of took me through that full like this is what a server is and like all these new things that were concepts that I, I had never encountered. I think I, when I logged on to Google or whatever website, I had no idea what was how it came from here to there to me and just kind of all of that was a, a black box. Um, and so I think coming from that absolute zero, um, I think it's it's helpful to to kind of be in those shoes because you never know where people are technically. I think that we have right. such a, a variety of, of skills that um, you never really know where, where the audience is that you're writing to. Um, and so it never hurts to kind of take a, a step back and remember kind of where you came from. Um, and maybe it's harder for some people who've been in the industry for years. Um, whereas I'm kind of coming from from just a couple years of of starting from from that base, but uh, I think that what I found is is definitely I think you can never go too kind of simple when it starts when like kind of building up the basics. Um, you always kind of want to take a couple steps back further than you think you need to, just because you're already really familiar with the concept. But um, uh, plenty of people are going to come into it from from a position of of less familiarity. 
Um, but I also think that as I'm, as I'm getting a little bit more complex uh, in some of the blog posts that I'm writing, I do find it useful to link out to either my earlier blog posts mm. or other blog posts that kind of go through those really basic fundamentals. Um, just because if, if you're uh, kind of coming into the blog post and reading it, maybe you don't want to get bogged down in that, or maybe it, it is new for you and you want to go back and kind of understand the prereqs to, to kind of what goes into the blog post. Um, so I think that's been an approach that I've taken recently. Um, and as far as I, I do think that there's um, we can always get more like code samples that include like those best practices out on the Internet, because when I think about if I'm approaching a new project or, or building something new, uh, it's always so, so helpful to me to have um, lots of different code samples to pull from um, that are those kind of complex, interesting use cases um, that maybe aren't the kind of uh, super basic things that you might run into. Um, and so I think having the more code samples, the more blogs, the more kind of content that we can get out there. Um, the, the better it will be to, for people to be able to kind of have that, that breadth of, of examples that they can pull from, um, that are kind of in all different use cases. Right. Yeah. And I love the, I love that point about assumptions. Cause I think that's a huge, that's a huge thing where everybody comes from different backgrounds and, you know, you might mention some random thing, you know, and it's a computer science term or some cloud related term. Um, and it could have a completely different meaning, you know, com, you know, depending on your background. So. Interesting yeah, and I wonder something that is so interesting that you brought up was that getting that context, like this is what a server is starting, let's say, quote unquote, way back. It's almost I think a lot of times I've seen our tutorials and many other tutorials where it's like you're trying to solve this problem. Here's the tutorial of how to do it. But there actually isn't context. It's as though we're standing super close to our computer screen looking at one pixel. And what we're actually saying is if I stepped 50 feet back and looked at the screen, there's actually an entire painting here. And so giving, it's almost like I want to say, hey, at, at Munz on Twitter, like the way you might actually be able to improve this is not how much depth of complexity you go into technically, but also how did we get here? And like, what are some of the contextual applications I need to know before it, concepts I need to know so I know what I'm solving? Like, how does this fit into a greater landscape? And I Absolutely. think that you've done that in your blog a lot too, which is pretty cool. Um, but it sounds like I wonder if that's part of the the embracing a beginner is by helping them understand how they got to what they're about to solve. Oh, absolutely. I think that, that was really critical for me. And I think I still continue to kind of build up that understanding of of where customers and, and where all, like kind of the industry is coming from. Um, and I think that was really critical to me early on to kind of pair that understanding of, of AWS services and kind of the core of, of cloud with a bit of uh, just talking to people who have kind of built in an on-prem world and understanding what the what that looks like and where we were really recently and what the the pain points are because uh, I think if you're if you're very kind of a, a cloud native person from your skill set um, that might be a, a gap um, when it comes to kind of what you understand and, and why like why is it significant that this service is, is just so easy to work with what was kind of the the prior, way that people were building. I think that's really important context that is kind of hard to, to build up other than just speaking with people who have, have built previously. Right. And that and that prior context, that is something that I I've struggled back and forth thinking about what is the best way, like who do I want? Somebody who grew up cloud native or somebody who has all the baggage of having to rack <laughs> servers and install, you know, cables and things like that. Um, because again, I've been, you know, I, I'm 
very old. I feel very old. Anyways, I've been doing this sort of stuff since 1997. So it's been a very long time for me. And I started in that whole racking servers and, and having to install software and having to drive to a data center at two o'clock in the morning in order to change out a, a bad drive and things like that. Um, so for me, serverless and cloud is I mean, it, it's like nirvana compared to what, um, you know, what I had to deal with before. But I wonder, and, and, and as somebody who, you know, and you're now very accomplished uh, with serverless and, and, and cloud services and things like that, um, but I wonder not having that baggage, um, is that potentially a good thing because you are thinking about things now in the way that we're trying to evolve, you know, developing applications to be? Um, or, you know, do you really think that some of that prior context is, is very important to have? I think I hope that I benefit from not having <laughs> the the weight of needing to to rack a server before I build my Chinese app. But um, I think for for me personally, I think that the value of having that context is really just in my uh, like my uh, conversations with customers as a, a business development manager. Um, right. I think that that's where I get that value out of, of being able to kind of understand where where folks are coming from and and be able to kind of help uh, them understand what what serverless offers. But from a just a pure building perspective. Um, I think that um, it is super powerful, I think, to be able to just jump into um, kind of never needing to really. Um, I've done some some EC2 tutorials for, for some of the certifications. But uh, beyond that, I feel like the uh, kind of intricacies of that are not something that I need to really invest a ton of time in, which I feel like is is valuable to me from just a speed perspective. Hi, everyone. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Lumigo. We've talked a lot about observability on this podcast, and if you've listened to any of those episodes, then you know that it can be difficult to achieve serverless observability with traditional approaches. Though serverless comes with many opportunities and advantages, it also has some unique issues that some tools just aren't able to address. And those issues really need something meant for serverless environments. That's where Lumigo comes in. As a serverless-first monitoring platform, Lumigo lets developers quickly and easily find and fix errors and performance issues while also giving you an end-to-end -end view of the entire transaction across services and functions. All of the debugging information you need is conveniently in one place, and you're able to set up alerts so that you know what's happening and how it might affect the user experience. Lumigo also knows how to play nice with your existing toolchain, enabling you to send alerts to email, Slack, Microsoft Teams, Ops Genie, and more, and can also create tickets in Jira straight from the issues page. Thanks to their automatic distributed tracing, it only takes four clicks to set up Lumigo with no manual code changes necessary. Sign up for free at Lumigo.io. I wanted to ask you a little bit about customers and um, I've watched your reInvent talk from last year a couple different times and you have four sort of key tips for getting started and how you started yourself is, you know, start small, think in terms of event-driven workflows, create well-defined APIs and set up an automated development workflow. Is that what you, do you apply those steps to your customers today as well? Like, is that how you start them off and, and how does that how does that feel for them in terms of them getting started? Like, does that apply pretty much across the board? Yeah, so I think it definitely does. I think that those are, I mean, they might look different within uh, an organization scale versus a just me and my computer scale. Um, but I think that it really does um, apply. When I think about like starting small, I often recommend that customers start with uh, a proof of concept. Um, and kind of get a feel for the technology and, and understand what it looks like um, and then kind of see that value and be able to expand from there. Um, obviously, any kind of like automation of, of pipelines and stuff like that is definitely a best practice. 
Um, I think that there's maybe one thing that I do recommend um, just for organizations that at a bigger scale that's different than, than what I covered there. And that's just, I think that it's uh, it's one thing to kind of start with the technology and get really excited about it yourself and, and get hands-on with it and start building something. But when you think about kind of expanding that within an organization, um, it does, you, different things start to come into play, whether you think about the like security and governance concerns that you might have within an organization, just making sure that you're building the best practices, um, but also just kind of sharing learnings. Um, and so I think that I've seen some customers be really successful when they've got a like kind of best practice group within their organization and they're able to kind of uh, like keep track of just these are like our monitoring best practices or these are some some examples of of different application or like different architecture pieces that we're frequently reusing and they're able to to kind of build those once and then be able to share those and um, have that kind of knowledge be be shared across the organization. Um, so I think that's another thing that I'm I'm seeing customers do that's uh, helping them be successful with serverless that maybe wasn't captured in those kind of uh, best practices for for me as an individual. Yeah, and I, I think that um, like Lego, the Lego engineering group is probably like one of the best examples of a company that's embraced, you know, let's take best practices, let's codify them, let's uh, push them down to the rest of the organization. I'm curious, though, um, in some of the, I mean, there's a lot of information out there. And uh, there was another tweet recently that was, you know, that we probably, I think it was from Brian LaRue, that was, you know, we probably need to start thinking about um, more certifications, especially maybe specific ones around um, serverless and things like that. Because as many good practices or best practices um, uh, are out there, there's always exceptions. Um, and then there's also people sometimes who I read some blog posts and I'm like, ooh, I wouldn't do it that way, right? You know, and you want to be careful about how how you criticize somebody too um, and sort of do it gently. But do you see that as well, where teams um, left up to their own devices sometimes maybe aren't following, um, you know, the the uh, the serverless lens of the well-architected framework, and they do implement some bad patterns. And, and if they do, does that, um, do you think that, I mean, obviously, I, this is probably a dumb question, but it probably hinders them. But do you see that happening? Do you see um, sometimes patterns where you're kind of, you have to kind of go in and say, well, that's not the best practice? Definitely. And I think with, with any new technology, as people are getting started with it, I think that um, you might run into to some points of friction or just some things that you're maybe not understanding, like the best way to build something. Or you might start building in a way that maybe is more optimized for kind of what you're used to and isn't really uh, kind of using the technologies to their best advantage um, the way that, that you could be using them. Um, and so I think that that is kind of the, that's hopefully where kind of I can come in and, in my role and just kind of reaching out to those customers that are, that are starting to use serverless and helping them kind of get that uh, best practice group and, and get those resources that we have, like the serverless lens, um, and, and be able to, to start right. Um, and I think it is kind of, uh, there is a kind of a certain point that's, that's optimal where you've got uh, customers that have, have tried out some serverless and are super excited about it and are looking to kind of expand and, and start doing more and more with it. Um, and so you hope that they are able to, to kind of get those, those best practices and, and get the foundations right. Um, and so I think that, that getting those, uh, that content out there um, that, that helps them achieve that goal is, is super critical. You mentioned something interesting as well, I think about scale, right? And I'm wondering how you've thought about there's a scale between obviously like zero and 10, 10 and 100, 100 and 1000, or I'm curious about how you think about that scale. You probably needed to change your own application as you saw people adopting it. Now you're at 100. And what does that mean to you? And then how do you see that changing? Do you have even your own threshold for, okay, once we're at 200, it's going to have to look like this, or once I'm at 1000, or once the organization is at 10,000, like different ways that you might even 
view those best practices with a different lens. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, with my application, it is kind of funny. Like, I think that it's obviously uh, serverless is great for just kind of small applications that you're not sure what's going to, if they're going to blow up or if they're going to just stay small, just because it is that kind of um, pay as you go pricing. And so I think um, with my own application, it probably is still within the like very tiny below the free tier really hasn't taken advantage of any of the kind of scale uh, aspects that are, that can be great about serverless. Um, But uh, so I'd love to see it kind of go bigger, but (laughs) We'll we'll see. <laughs> so so following up though on that scale question, because besides just scaling the application, I, you were talking about bringing you know uh, serverless into Teams and then starting to adopt it, and you know creating a team of people that might do best practices. I mean that that's a lot of people, right? That's a that's a big investment I think for for companies to do that. So. Um, Clearly, there is a uh, you know there are a number of certifications, right? Maybe not specific to serverless, but as you mentioned, you went through some of these certifications as well. Um, where do you think that plays a role, and how valuable is that into you know sort of getting everybody in a team on on the same page? Yeah, so I think it's definitely. I mean, I found it personally really helpful to be able to just to to understand some of those those fundamentals of of different AWS services and just to get a landscape of kind of what's out there. I think when you're approaching a a problem or or thinking about building something, um, there are obviously so many different services to to choose from. And so I think having a bit of a sense, and I think that the the certifications do give you a kind of a flavor of as you're doing a a tutorial for this or or kind of a a hello world example for this, I think they do give you just that kind of... um, uh, initial taste for a lot of different services, and you kind of start to think about how they all fit together. Um, and so I think that's really helpful if you're um, newer to, to AWS and looking for a bit of a, a landscape of the different services. Um, I think that I found the, the certifications to be really helpful as just as, as I'm building that, that skill set within my own career. I think you do a really amazing job in your writing, and I think Jeremy alluded to this earlier, articulating like big concepts into things that feel graspable and legible and readable to someone else. And that I'm wondering, I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but a lot of times we hear people say, hey, I'm going to go take an AWS certification course. And there's all these courses out there to help learn and all these ways where it's like, you should study this or here's a, you know, a, a reading guide or here's a test guide or here's a 12 hour course that you can take. I'm curious if you have any tips or advice, A, just what worked for you or be when you hear other people asking those questions, what's the best way to learn this? Um, what you might often tell them in terms of getting prepared for certs. Definitely. So I think that, and that is one of my favorite questions to get. I think I love when um, either from my, like my reInvent talk or some of my blogs, when somebody reaches out and says, I'm super interested in, in getting started with AWS or getting started with serverless. Um, I think that's one of my favorite things to, to help people with. But um, from a certification perspective, um, I mentioned I did the, the cloud practitioner uh, kind of super early on as I was just getting a feel for AWS. Um, and that one, I really think that like the cloud essentials course that's that's available free out there um, is really kind of uh, everything you need to, to get through that one. Um, I think, uh, like I mentioned a little bit about how I felt like it was it was cool to also talk to people who had a bit more context on kind of why does cloud exist? What was the the on-prem world like? And and kind of what is what is it the, that we're getting out of cloud that we didn't get before? I think that that context is something that you might not get from it that's good to just have some conversations with people about. Um, but I think that that was kind of good, uh, sufficient prep for that one. And then the, the, uh, the um, uh, Solution Architect Associate Certification, 
Um, that one definitely takes a, a bit more prep, a bit more time investment. Um, I think for that one, I used the the official study guides, the book, um, and then I do like to have kind of that that physical book when I'm studying for something. And then um, I also used um, uh, a cloud guru. Um, so just going through kind of some of the, and I think again, kind of I mentioned I'm not uh, someone who goes finishes tutorials from start to finish. I'm also probably not someone that finishes books or or courses from start <laughs> to finish. But just getting a, a bit of kind of skimming over and, and getting some of those those pieces, um, I think those were the the big ones um, that I used for that. I'm starting to think about the professional at this point, which I think is a whole another time investment. Um, so maybe I'll I'll write a blog post about that one someday. Yeah, that's probably a whole series of blog posts. That one, yes, that that's a lot. <laughs> um, so I, I want to go back for a second though, because I mean you're you're talking about some resources available to you, you know, to become certified, which I think is a great thing to do, and I, I think it can really help people. Um, you know, I've heard a lot about it, people getting on the same page, using the same language, being able to kind of communicate at the same level, um, and also a little bit of a, a you know a, a good resume confidence boost. I mean, I don't think everybody gets hired because they're certified, but it certainly doesn't hurt, right? You know, and it's good to it's yeah. good to have that um, uh, under their belt. Um, but I'm curious to go back to some other resources because this is one of the things I'm sure you know when you're developing your serverless applications or you're working you know with uh, uh, with customers if you ever you know need help you probably turn to the serverless chats podcast you know because there's always some great oh, yeah. episodes uh, there and you look at the off by none newsletter you know to get uh, <laughs> to get helpful hints there but what other resources as you go through um, you know as you're as you kind of run up against a wall for example like where do you find the best resources do you find this through the community um, and their blog posts? Is it more official AWS documentation? Is it um, a combination of, you know, heroes content and things like that? Like where where are probably the best resources to, to kind of get you over some of these technical hurdles? Definitely. Well, I think anybody who has learned to code knows the power of Google <laughs> and the uh, the fact that, that you're never going to uh, kind of uh, lose that dependence on how do I uh, Google a JavaScript for loop. But um, I think that... Uh, <laughs> I do. I, I think I definitely do use like some of the um, kind of uh, more official AWS uh, tutorials when it comes to kind of getting started with the service. Um, thinking about stuff like Serverless Land, which has got a lot of great uh, kind of uh, getting up to speed with with a new uh, serverless service. I think those are super helpful. Um, but I do find a ton of value just in um, the things that like the community produces. I think there's so many great blog posts um, just about like, hey, this is how I built. And I, I think I try to write those myself just because I think that they I've gotten so much value out of other people's of of, hey, I was trying to do this like specific thing with with API Gateway. And so I wrote a blog post about it. And this is my code sample. I think that those have been super helpful to me as I'm, I'm building my own stuff. Um, and so I think that uh, that ends up being a, a big resource. Um, and then recently, I've because I've been doing a bit more kind of fancy things with with DynamoDB. Um, and so uh, Alex Debris DynamoDB book has been super helpful to me and spent a lot of time with that one. I, I got to ask you, when you say fancy things with DynamoDB, <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, fancy for me, probably not fancy for anybody else. Um, for me, I too. That, <laughs> I think that databases are definitely uh, an area that um, I'm still uh, kind of getting into and, and getting familiar with. Um, so I think that the, the book has been a really great resource for that. But um, I initially, I think I initially started using Dynamo as um, kind of just a, uh, as one might use a relational database. So I just had a couple different DynamoDB um, 
uh, tables that I was, I was using for different, um, storing different uh, pieces of information for my Chinese app. Um, and I thought it'd be really cool to, even though, like I said, my, my app is just at such a small scale as far as what uh, services like DynamoDB can, can handle. Um, and what they're really optimized for, that um, all of it is is slightly over-engineered, but it's really just kind of a learning project for me. Um, so I thought it'd be cool to to try out some some single table design and just understand a little bit more of those concepts. Um, and so I've been working on doing a bit of a, a refactor on the the database side of my application. Um, and so that was definitely uh, had to had to spend a lot of time with with the the book to to figure out what the best way to do that was. But um, hopefully I'll be able to to launch that soon. Awesome. It sounds yeah, fancy. Uh, Yes, well, single single table design is uh, it's a mind bender, right? You got to think oh, fourth yeah. dimensionally. But once you once you once it clicks and you figure it out, uh, it is a very very powerful pattern to use. Definitely, mind bending is exactly the word I would use to describe. Where you read a page and then you need to close the book and go take a walk because right. <laughs> everything needs to settle. How many times can you watch the Rick Houlihan uh, reinvent talks on like you know zero point two five speed? You know, just yes. to try to get slow it down it. to my level. <laughs> right. right. I think everyone has to do that. So, <laughs> well, Emily, is there anything else that you would like to highlight here? You've done so much from, like you said, zero tech to fancy tech, um, and it's been really cool to even want to be an observer of your experience of it, and that you've let other people in. Sometimes it's hard to be super vulnerable as a total newbie, and instead, you're like, not only am I going to be vulnerable, I'm going to then share this with everyone as they watch me work through this. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to leave us with that, that we should know that's on your mind right now that you're like, hey, I'm actually struggling with this particular challenge. Tweet at me with your answers, whatever it is. We're happy to hold the space for that. Absolutely. So I think that maybe what I'd, I'd leave on is just, uh, I mean, to your point about um, kind of it is it is challenging to kind of go out there and like be surrounded by people that uh, maybe have uh, years in the industry or, or have a ton of great technical depth who are able to to read through DynamoDB stuff and like a breeze, no problem. And so I think it definitely is. It can be intimidating to be surrounded by by folks that um, have a lot more depth in it. Uh, but I think I've at least uh, just within like like the serverless community and just all the people that that work on serverless type things, I think I've just found such a phenomenal response to people um, when I am sharing things or when I'm writing about something or making doing a small project just to learn myself. Um, I think there's been such a phenomenal kind of response and, and people that are um, super exciting and kind of the what I would consider like the opposite of, of gatekeeping that are just really encouraging and um, welcoming into the community. Um, and so I think that uh, definitely to anyone that's that's thinking about uh, getting into it, there's a really uh, excellent community out there that's um, there to help. Yeah. Oh, I love to totally hear agree. it. Awesome. Well, um, so Emily, thank you for being on the show and, and sharing all this with us. Um, if people want to find out more about you, uh, check out your your blog or your uh, the, the Chinese site, because you can go there now and you can sort of learn Chinese or it's a, sort of a... You've got some. You've got some things in there to help people. How do they? How do they do that? Yes. So my blog is uh, mshea.com. E M S H E A. Um, I'm also on Twitter. I think it's E M underscore underscore Shea. I couldn't find it without uh, the underscore. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> the the Chinese website I think is linked from there, but it's haohaotiantian.com. Uh, um, but it's linked from all of my different places. If you don't want to spell the the Chinese, uh... <laughs> I wasn't even going to try to pronounce it. So um, I'm glad that you did. Ha, 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 ha.
Awesome. And we got your reInvent talk, so we'll get all the stuff in the show notes as well. So if anybody wants to check that out, they can do that there. Excellent. Yeah, what a joy. It's so good to see you again, Emily. Um, and so good to hear more about your story. Thanks for sharing. Awesome. Yeah, it's been great to be on here. It's super exciting to, to be on serverless chats after listening for a while. So thank you both. And that's this week's serverless chat. Rebecca and I want to give a huge thank you to Emily Shea for being our guest this week and to our sponsor, Lumigo. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 109. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore daily or Rebecca at Becca Odelay. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.